0: Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time together so far this morning. And now as we uh, turn our attention to your word, we again ask that through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, you will speak to us. And Lord, we have been in a series on grace. And uh, help us this morning, again, to understand biblical grace and, Lord, not just to understand it intellectually, but then, Lord, to allow these truths to penetrate our hearts so that ultimately it will affect uh, our relationship with you and then our relationship with others. So um, we submit to you now and ask that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn to Matthew 20. Matthew 20. This is the story that we started with. Carl, you can turn slide this down just a tad. This is a story that we started with uh, to introduce grace. Go the other way. Slide it down towards you. All right. And so Matthew 20, right? we're going to read this parable again. And uh, it's a story of a landowner and uh, his interactions with some workers throughout the day. Okay. Okay, so Matthew 20, the start in verse one for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. We launched off our series on grace looking at this, and we focused at that time on the reactions of the workers, right? The day starts at 6 a.m., some get hired, they agree to work for a denarius, which is a day's wage. Landowner goes at 9, 12, 3, hires others, doesn't say, he just says, I'm going to do what's right. Goes out at 5 p.m., hires more, right? At the end of the day, the people who worked 12 hours received a denarius, and the people who worked one hour received what? A denarius, right? And, we, and that launched us into this series on grace because many of us said that's not fair. Fair. fair, right? And we were challenged right off the bat in our definition of grace. And we've learned the last several weeks that it's not based on merit or demerit, right? Grace is unmerited favor, unmerited favor, right? In fact, if you look in your sermon notes there, uh, under the definition of grace, that first bullet point says God's unmerited, undeserved favor shown to people who are totally undeserving of it. And we looked, moving down on your sermon notes there, we said inaccurate understanding of grace can lead to false beliefs. And over the last three weeks, several weeks, we looked at these false beliefs. I must prove to God that I am worthy to continue receiving his grace, right? So we, we receive salvation by faith. Woo-hoo, right? Jesus, I can never pay you. You know, I can never earn my salvation. It's just by your grace. And then if we're not careful as Christians, we slide into works. I got to prove I got to prove myself. You might even hear someone say that. Right. You got to prove yourself to God. That's not biblical grace. Second one. I must pay back God for his grace. Some of us feel so overwhelmed. So, you know, have such an overwhelming sense of gratitude that, oh, Lord, I just want to pay you back. And you can't pay back a gift. What can you do with a gift? Only what? Receive it. And we work through the challenge of some of us just having to, you know what? Receive. And, and it's uncomfortable, right? Because there's a part of us that, that our pride wells up and says, Oh man, are you kidding me? I can't do something back for you. I want to I wanna repay you. Now we get that heart of gratitude and that's fine. But if you slide into works as a way of paying back God... You missed His grade, right? And we talked about that. If you gave a gift to, to someone very special in your life, how would you feel if suddenly they felt this huge burden to pay you back? How many of you would be a little bummed? Right? If, if I gave you know, my wife a gift and suddenly she just felt like, oh, now I'm so burdened because now I have to pay him back for this. Right? It would nullify the gift. And, and so we can't live that way. Some of us as Christians, we we bought into this sort of this False belief that, oh, now I'm burdened with paying back God. No. He just wants you to what? Love him. He just wants you. He just, you just love him, right? And then the third one, I must punish myself before receiving and enjoying God's grace. And we talked about some of us, you know, we have file cabinets in our, in our brains. And we'd like to rehearse all of the bad stuff we did. And we like to beat ourselves up. Over and over. Because we think, well, if I beat myself up and I feel really bad about myself for however long it takes, then I'm okay to get God's grace. Right? So sometimes we feel like we have to punish ourselves. And sometimes we we saw in Revelation what the devil is called the accuser, right? Hey, remember? Psh, psh, psh. You're sitting there on Sunday. Psh, psh. You, you want to lead a Bible study? Right? And sometimes the devil comes as the accuser and wants to whisper your pasts into your brain. Right? And we saw a great verse in Hebrews that God remembers our sin what? No more. No more. So when you come to God... And you start saying, Lord, and when I was a teenager, I ask you to forgive me. And then, Lord, when I was 20, and Lord, when I was 30. Anyone ever do that? You just rehearse stuff? What does God say to you? Like, what are you talking about? Ernie, what are you talking about? Well, the, remember those sins I committed back when I was 25, Lord? No. Right? The Bible says God remembers our sin no more. There is no more sacrifice for sin. So the glorious truth about biblical grace is what? We don't have to punish ourselves. So turn to someone next to you and say, stop punishing yourself. (laughs) Right? And and part of that, right, we looked at the Apostle Paul, right? If there's anyone who had to make a choice to move forward in his life, it was who? The Apostle Paul, because he had quite the history, right? I told you, if we were OVCF was back in the first century, Apostle Paul would come through that door and you and me and all of us would be off to prison. And many of us would be put to death. By who? Paul, who was Saul. I think. That's the guy that we like to idealize and think such great thoughts about, right? But he had a past. And at a certain point in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, what he said, by the grace of God... I am what I am, right? And it's all right, right? By the grace of God I am what I am, right? So he had to choose to to acknowledge, okay, I've persecuted the church. It's certainly not of me, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. right? By the grace of God turn to someone and say you are what you are. <laughs> now, turn your sermon notes over if you don't know who you are. Go ahead, turn them over. If you're wondering, well, who am I, right? And last Sunday, we filled in all these blanks and I filled it in for you because some of you were like writing frantically and uh, trying to keep up, right? So you have this incredible list. And who does this apply to? Thank you. See, now you're catching on because whenever you say us, you know now I don't let you off the hook. Because if you're a believer, who does this apply to? Me. Me, right? Me, right? So we looked at the Apostle Paul who, before he was a Christian, had a horrible past. Then last Sunday, we looked at Peter, who, what, denied Jesus three times when Jesus was sitting right over there and said, hey, y'all are going to bail on me. Peter's like, are you kidding? Everyone leaves. I'll never. Blows it big time. In John 21, he says, I'm going fishing, which some believe meant, hey, I tried the Christian thing. I'm done. I'm going back to my old profession. Jesus shows up, does a miracle of the fish, Peter jumps out of the boat. Jesus says, hey, come have some breakfast with me. And he asks him three questions. What? Do you? Do you? Do you? Yeah. See, even though Peter had blown it by God's grace, he just wanted him to be restored. And he just asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? And sometimes when we blow it as Christians, we saw through the example of Peter, our, in, our, our, our inclination in the flesh, because maybe we're embarrassed or we feel some shame or we feel guilt. The very place that we should come is the very place what we run away from. Some of you may know some people who used to be walking with the Lord and maybe made some poor decisions, maybe got into backsliding or some sin, and they just decide, you know what, I'm out. And God's grace, He just wants to come to them. And he wants to come to us and say, hey, do you love me? Because if you love me, what does Jesus say? If you love me, obedience is going to follow It's a love issue, right? And I want to encourage you, all right? Is anybody here perfect? All right? In fact, I've shared with you before, right? You find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll mess it up, right? All right? So, So n- nobody here is perfect. And when we sin, and when we, you know, veer off course, I want to encourage you, remember Peter. And and this is where you need to come. As uncomfortable as it might be, as as like, ooh, what are they going to think of me it might be? Come. And what? Experience God's grace. Not just biblically, but through others, right? Walk through those doors and be loved and embraced. Right? Because where would the devil love you to be? You can't go back to church. What are they going to think about you? They know. Right? You're not going to be welcome back there. And the devil wants to get in your head. Why? Because if the devil can separate you from the body, he's got you. He wants to divide and conquer. Okay? So through the example of Peter, you've got to say, you know what? No. I confessed my sin, Lord, I repented. I just got to receive grace again. Because look at this list. By the grace of God, what? I am what I am. I am a saint. I am a new creation. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am justified. I am at peace with God. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I am a member of the body of Christ. I am complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. Yes, right? And we've done that before, right? In the last, over the last two years, we've actually pretty much covered this whole list in different studies, right? I am complete, loved, accepted, pleasing. Right, And I shared with when I learned that, when I go to speak sometimes and I get nervous or in any situations, counseling or someone calls me to a crisis and I get a little nervous, what do I do? I will do this. Before I go in, I'll clap. I'll go, okay, Lord, I'm complete. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm pleasing. And I'll do that to remind myself who I am and to settle me down. Because in my own thoughts, I'll be, I'll, sometimes I'll be in, in very trying situations. And if it's up to me, I'll get all anxious. And I'll get fearful and I'll get nervous and I'll get all wound up inside. And sometimes I have to go, I'm complete, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm pleasing. Okay, let's go. All right. This list right here, I encourage you. Uh, some people, when we've studied this before, they put this on their bathroom mirror. This is a pretty good morning devotion. This is a pretty good thing to, to memorize and to say out loud before you walk out the door. Amen. Why is that? Because you have the devil who has his own list of accusations. And you got people who aren't very nice. And you got the world that tells you you don't measure up and everything is based on merit and demerit. Right? you got all these other sources that are ready to get into your head. This right here. Pretty good to have on your nightstand or on your, like I said, your bathroom mirror every day. Okay. When you read that, how do you feel? Well, I don't know, because that doesn't apply to me so much, right? <laughs> By faith, I am what I I told you last Sunday, some of you, you just got to believe this. But God, but, 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 but God, but, but. Is there? There's no but God. Who does this apply to? You just got to accept it. Don't qualify it. Don't conditionalize it. Don't put a little asterisk. This applies to you. 24-7. It's positional truth. Now, our practice is imperfect, but this is positional truth. This is who you are. This is who you are, right? And, and as we transition in, in our study, right, we've been looking at this idea of merit and unmerit, or demerit, and we're going to look at a fourth false belief this morning, Right. And, it, and, it, and it's related to Matthew 20. So Matthew 20, the, the parable we just read, we focused on the reaction of the workers. That's not fair. Right. The ones that worked all day. What do you think the reaction of the five o'clockers was? Woo-hoo! Right. Right. Woohoo! Right. Can you just imagine? I mean, what a what a crazy uh, distinction. Right. The six o'clockers, six a.m.ers walking away kind of grumbling you know, the 5 p.m.ers, Woo! hey, that guy's awesome, right? Can you believe that? I had no clue, right? And, and so we focused on that. But really, uh, what we can't neglect is the landowner. Because the story is really, in one sense, about the landowner and, and who he is, right? In verse 1 it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard, right? So this apparently is a guy of wealth, of good means, right? And and here's what's interesting in verse 1. The landowner goes out to hire people. Culturally, that's significant because usually they send the foreman. And it's kind of significant that the landowner himself goes out to those in need and interacts with them. The landowner isn't at a distance. He's right in the mix where people are are in need for their daily wage. Okay, these are day laborers. So a denarius is a day's wage, which is at the end of the day in Deuteronomy, you're to pay the worker so they can go buy food for their family. So the landowner himself doesn't send somebody else. He goes to meet needs. To meet needs. And so he has these interactions. And then there's, there's their reactions, right? And let's get verse 13, right? It says, but he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. What does the landowner do to bring correction? He says, hey, let me, let me remind you who I am. I own everything. It's my money. I have the right, the power, the authority to do with it as I please because I'm generous. And it's really important as we transition into these next, this next false belief over the next few weeks. As I was reading that, I was really challenged with how do you view God? How do you... Because the 6AMers, as generous as a landowner was, they're walking away. The 6AMers are walking away with what they need, right? They can go buy food for their family. And yet... One of them, at least, has this really sort of warped view of the landowner. Oh, that guy's not fair. That's not right. How could he do that? And and instead of being grateful and thankful, he has this distorted view of the landowner's character, right? The 5 p.m.ers, they're just like, think this hes the greatest guy ever, right? And I thought about that in relation to grace because we have to ask ourselves, how do you view God? And let me, let, me, let me ask you this in, in maybe a way that, that some of you will resonate with. You know those little emoticons that you all put on the end of texts and emails, those little faces, right? So I've seen before there's a yellow one with a smiley face, right? And then there's a yellow one with a frown. Let me ask you this question. Okay, you don't have to answer out loud. Right now, as God is looking at you, knowing everything, is it a smile or a frown? It's a wink. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Pat, I know. Right? It, it, when you think of God and your relationship with Him and how He feels about you, is it a smile this morning? Or is He frowning? Or is He scowling? Or is He winking? Or is He confused? <laughs> I don't know, you know. No, but let's just simplify Is God smiling at you? Or is He frowning? Now, your answer to that is directly related to how you would choose to interact or not with Him. Right? There's this word called Disposition right someone's natural or their, their characteristic mood or attitude right how many of you have ever worked for a, a boss whose disposition wasn't so rosy no. right what did that do to you even before you got to work you didn't even gone to get up in the morning it ruined your whole day right you uh, right by the time you get there what right and then it turns into the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Uh, everything is said and done, what? Through the lens of, man, this dude's a grouch. Man, this dude's a taskmaster. Man, this dude just never gives anyone a break. This dude doesn't even know the word smile, right? Or encouragement or affirmation. Everything is that, 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 that. The only time I hear from my boss is what? When I mess up, right? So, so our perception, and, and in this case it could be true, Someone's disposition or mood has a really, you know, a direct effect on what our desire to interact and relate with them, right? Well, look at the bottom of your of your sermon notes or that quote I put. What you think about God shapes your whole relationship with Him. Is God smiling or frowning? Is God a God of grace or wrath? Which one of those thoughts first come into your mind? When, when we, the men started being at Carl's house three years ago, one of the first things we studied was uh, the attributes of God. And I, I handed out papers to the guys on one of the first nights. I said, hey, when I say the word God, draw me a picture of what, you, what comes to mind. And some of the guys drew lightning bolts. Some of the guys drew the principal's office. <laughs> right? And I appreciated that transparency. But then the next level is, well, if that's how you view God is throwing lightning bolts and going to the principal's office and having this sort of angry disposition, do you think that affects your relationship with Him? Do you think that affects your desire to pray? Do you think it affects your desire to worship? It does. And there's a lot of reasons that we can develop these false ideas of God. It might be kind of the church you were raised in. Anyone have a church background where God was sort of wrath, the God of wrath, right? Sort of, right? Or it could be uh, how you grew up. If you grew up maybe with not a lot of church uh, upbringing, God may just be some distant figure. You know, some people believe, okay, yeah, I believe it's sort of there's some being out there who created everything, but it's like a a spinning top. He spun it and the world spins and he just steps back. Kind of like deism, they call it, yeah, deism, they call it where God just sits back. And lets everything happen, but he's detached from it, right? Remember that song, "God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a from a distance, right? Some of us, we, we might have been the home that you were raised in, or just different experiences you had. So when it comes to grace, you might struggle with grace because the fourth the fourth uh, inaccurate. Her false belief is, I must, and here's a big word, I'll explain it to you, placate, P-L-A-C-A-T-E. I must placate, or in other words, pacify an angry God. Now, placate means to soothe, to appease, right? Like uh, if there's uh, these big uh, demonstrations and riots, right, the government may try to placate the protesters right so placate someone to appease them right you're really mad at the restaurant so they offer to uh, knock money off your meal or give you your meal for free what are they trying to do placate you they're trying to reduce your anger right so some of us may have this false belief that as a christian i have to placate an angry god god is just generally angry and my Christianity is sort of based on not getting him too angry. Right? Sort of if you had a parent at home that maybe we didn't interact much with, but you knew when they were home as a kid, what? Don't make too much noise. Just just don't, don't stir it up. Don't bother him. Right, and when you do something, and you know, I remember sometimes like, you know, my, my dad's trying to sleep or something, and, and we do something real loud, and so it's like, right, or something falls, and you're like, dude, you're in so much trouble, right? Wait till dad finds out, right? And sometimes we have this attitude towards God that He's generally angry, generally waiting for us to mess up, and we have to walk on eggshells around Him. Don't mess up too much. Right? What does that do for our relationship with Him? That's draining, isn't it? And that's exhausting and there's not a lot of love and there's not a lot of joy and there's not a lot of peace because we're just trying to placate Him. Not mess up too bad. Right? Bad me. Bad me. You know? And that's a false belief. Right? Look at... Look at that quote I put under there. Grace is that intrinsic quality of God's being or essence by which he, spontane- he is spontaneously favorable in his disposition and actions. Right up top, look at the, uh, under the definition of grace, there's a definition I added. It says grace refers to the essential character of God and tells us what kind of God he is from a God of grace comes multitudes of graces that meet our need. So when I, when I say the word God, did the word grace come into your head? Because grace is really the essential core, right? We know God is love. God is grace in His being. How many of you, that even came up? Well, God is going to judge God's a provider and God's a protector and God's all that things, But all of those things that God does for your benefit is because He's a God of what? Grace. We have to understand and we have to really go from here to here and every day wake up and say, Lord, thank you that you're a God of grace. You're a God of grace. And what does that mean? If you will allow that to penetrate and understand, you know, We saw in Romans that verse, God is for you, right? We studied that. God is for you. How many of you wake up in the morning with this general sense of enthusiasm that, hey, God is for me. He wants the best for you. He wants what's good for you today. He's got a grace. He's for you. You know, I was talking with someone about, you know, they're struggling with with wanting to know God's will, right? And sometimes, and they bought into this sort of idea that God is like this. I have your will behind my back. And if you guess the right hand, I might just show you. Right? And so we get this idea of even when seeking God's will that God sort of plays games with us. Pick one. Oh, sorry, Linda, not your will. Ah, you know, right? And we, instead of saying that God wants his will to be known, God is for you. God wants the very best in your life. God wants to bless you, care for you, meet all your needs. We kind of feel like God's like hiding stuff and playing a shell game. Or he's angry. Where does that come from? Where do, where do we pick that up? And, and you have to ask yourself some of these questions and then work through it, right? Because back in the garden when the devil first interacted with Eve, what was he doing? He was attacking God's what? Character. He was trying to get Eve to buy into the lie that God's kind of keeping something from you. He doesn't really want what's best for you. He knows if you... What was, God, what was Satan doing? Attacking God's character. See, and when you doubt God's character, when you maybe don't even know, weren't even aware that God is a God of grace at the very core, huh, well, if God's going to play games with me, then I'm just going to play games with God. Or if God's always angry with me, I'm tired. It's not that way at all. God, being a God of grace, He wants to just lavish that on you constantly. Look at my quote, it says, He is spontaneously favorable in His disposition and actions. He's favorable. Everyone say, God is. Everyone say, God is. For me. Do you believe that? He's for you. In His grace, He's for you. He's for you. He's for you. He wants what's best for you over and over because it's who he is. All of that flows out of his being, which is grace. Which is grace, and we're going to look at this as we move forward, because if you are really honest, how do you see God this morning? Is he distant? See the principle. See the big popo in the sky, right? Is he angry? Is he just waiting for you to mess up? Or is he a God of grace who's for you and loves you and wants the best for you, right? And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Exodus, and we're not going to get there tonight. We're going to look at creation. Have you ever thought of creation coming from a God of grace? We tend to look at creation as some sort of scientific fact, right? Right? Really quick, let's turn to Exodus Genesis, Exodus, right? And let's look at Exodus three, it's there, Exodus three, fourteen. God appears to Moses calling him out to go free his people. Moses freaks out, right? In verse 13, look at Exodus 3:13 and14. Moses said to God, "Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, "The God of your fathers has sent me to you." And they ask me, "What is His name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, "I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's based on a Hebrew verb for Yahweh. The Hebrew verb is to be, Okay, that verb. And he uses it in first person. He says, I am who I am. What does that mean? It means God has always been self-existent. See, as humans, we live in in a time continuum, right, on a timeline. And it's sort of hard for our finite minds to grasp eternity and the fact that God has always just been. No beginning, no end. He just, I am who I am. I am self-existent, okay? I'm self-sufficient. I am who I am. Okay, we, we clear on that, right? So if God has always been self-existent, self-sufficient, who He is, why did He create us? Because He wanted to. Ding, ding, ding. He wanted to. See, we're going to look at creation Through the eyes of grace, right? The landowner, right? I own everything. Can't I do what I want? I'm generous. God, I am self-existent. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need humans. But in my grace, I'm going to create humans and the planet because I want to. And we're going to look more in depth next week. But when creation was created, how did He create it? Perfect. Perfect. Perfect, right? And we're going to look at this in more detail next week. After every day, what did he say? It was, it was good. Now, have you ever thought about that? Why would he say that? Who was he talking to? It was good. What, would he look back and go, wow, God, good job? I mean, is that what he did? Was, that, was it good for him? Did he like mess up beforehand and say, oh, okay, that one's good? You know, what was good? Good what? Someone said it. What? It was good, what? For us. It was good for who? For us. He was creating the perfect world, and God sets back and says, "It is good. because who's coming down the pipe? Us. He's setting it up in His grace for who? us. And then when he creates man, he sits back and he says, and he looked at all that he created and he said, it is very good. We're going to look at it more next week. Think about creation and how in God's grace, because he wanted to, he created it very good for us. Okay. We're not going to get to the fall just yet, but even in the fall, God's grace was there. He didn't wipe it clean, right? But initially, creation was very good. For who? Us. Us. God's grace. Self-existent I am. I want to create. I'm going to create the perfect world. I'm going to put the lights and fish. Da, da, da. It's all good, good, good. I'm going to create. Man, it's all very good. You see, why, do we, why is it important to go all the way back to Genesis 1-1? So that you can unlearn all these false perceptions you have of God. See? Think about it. let start. Who is God from the very beginning? A God of grace that was self-existent, that created a perfect world out of His what? Grace. Because He wanted the best for us. He wanted the best for us, so He created it. Good, and then said it is what? Very good. Very good. So as as we leave, I want to encourage you, challenge you. There's that false belief right there, right? Have you, somewhere along the line, picked up that false belief that you must placate or pacify an angry God? Because I would share with you in love that according to Genesis 1-1, He's been a gracious God. He's been a God of grace from the very first verse of the Bible. And He set it up and it was good for who? For us. For us. And so this week, as you wake up in the morning and as you stare at this list, wherever you choose to stare at this list, wake up this morning or wake up this week and say, Lord, Please help me to live in a relationship with you that's based on grace. Help me to really believe that you want my best and you want what's good for me. Help me believe that you're for me. Help me believe that I don't have to live this week or the rest of this day to placate you, to not mess up really bad. Right? Help me in what enjoy you. Have you ever been around someone that just has communicated to you that they like you? Like, enjoy your company. Anyone? You ever been around family or friends, and you're around them, they're just glad to see you, and deep inside you go, ah, this is great. Some of you experience that here on Sundays. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a relationship with God every day? You're like, ah, this is good. My God loves me. My God is for me. My God wants the best for me today. My God is a God of grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You, thank You, thank You for Your grace. And that's who You are. And everything You do, the grace that You bestow on us daily, the grace of the cross as we prepare for communion. Lord, may we never forget that at Your core, You are a God of grace. And if for some reason... We've picked up these false views of you that you're, you're angry. You're a God of wrath only. Lord, that we, we live our life to placate you, to appease you, to pacify you, because you're always angry. Lord, forgive us for that. And help us now, even through the creation story, to begin to renew our minds with biblical truth that you're a God of grace. You were self-existent. You created us because you wanted to. And then you created it and you said it was good. It was perfect. And then when we were created, you looked at everything and said it's very good. Because you want the very best for us. So, Lord, help us to leave here knowing you want what's very good for us in our life. You want what's very good for us. And that was demonstrated at the cross. Because despite the fall and sin, you still wanted a relationship with us, and so you sent Jesus as a demonstration of your love of your grace. And so as we hold the cups in our hands this morning, as we reflect on the music, would you just speak truth to our hearts again? You're a God of grace. You love us and you want what's very good for us every day of our life. Jesus.